You are listening to Just One Glass, episode 15, Creating Alcohol-Free Holiday Coziness in Your Home. Today, I'm talking with house coach and world-renowned interior designer, Carly Thornock. You are not going to want to miss this one, so stay tuned. Welcome to Just One Glass, a podcast for high-achieving type A millennial moms who want to explore their relationship with alcohol without judgment and without labels. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. I'm a life coach, a successful entrepreneur multiple times over, a mother, and most importantly, a fellow human. When I took control of my negative patterns with alcohol, my entire life changed for the better. And I wholeheartedly believe that you can find the same freedom in your own life. So whether you're just getting curious about your drinking or you're ready to dive deep, I've got you. Hi, friend. Thanks for being here with me today. We are a week into December and the holidays are in full tilt. For some, the celebrations have already begun and happy holidays to you. And for some, we're just in preparation mode. I was talking with my friend and colleague Carly a few weeks ago. She's an interior designer and life coach, and she calls herself a house coach, which I love. She's also a non-drinker for different reasons than I. And we were talking about creating holiday coziness in our homes without the booze. It's so ingrained in our culture that alcohol is just part of the holidays. Holiday cocktail parties, eggnog by the fire, spiked hot cider after a winter trek through the forest. All of these things conjure a cozy feeling for me when I think about them. But today, we're going to talk about creating that feeling of coziness, that hookah, which Carly will explain in the episode, without the drinks. So if you want to connect with Carly, all of her info is in the show notes, including her bio. So let's get on with the interview. Here is my conversation with house coach Carly Thornock. All right. So welcome to Just One Glass and the Intentional House podcast. Woo! Yeah. So <laughs> it's going to depend on where you're listening, but both Carly and myself are here today to talk about creating winter coziness in your home without the booze. And we thought that we would share it with both of our audiences, all of our listeners, because we thought it could benefit everybody who might listen. So whether you're listening from Carly's podcast or my podcast, welcome. Yes. So glad to have you. This is Michelle Kapler, by the way, for my audience who has not maybe listened to you so far. The epic, the one and only Michelle. Oh, so so sweet. You're going to make me blush. Well, let's do the intro thing because some of us would have met some of us and some of us might even listen to both podcasts. But just in case we don't, do you want to tell us about yourself, Carly? Oh, sure. So I'm Carly Thornock. My podcast is the Intentional House podcast. And I have a company called Intentional House, where we help mamas get really clear and connected with themselves so that they can love their houses and therefore love their people better. It's all about the love over at Intentional House. Oh, love the love. So good. And I'm Michelle Kapler. I'm an alcohol freedom coach, and I'm on a mission to change the conversation that we as high-powered women, and especially as mothers, have our own alcohol. So when we approach this conversation with what I like to call radical honesty, we can decide if we like our relationship with our nightly glass or bottle of wine, and from there, we get to work to change it. And as a former overdrinker myself, I know exactly what it's like to feel like you've lost control 
the constant regret and the questions and the beating yourself up. Yep, I've been there. But I'm also here to tell you that it's totally possible to change it all if you want to. So we're going to get into all of that today. So we decided the theme for today was going to be creating comfort in your home without needing to drink. And with the holidays coming up, no matter what you celebrate or if you celebrate, there's always kind of this air of creating winter coziness or comfort in the home. And that's usually paired with a cider or a mulled wine or a glass of something or, you know, something just warm and delicious. And that's usually paired with booze. And it's just something that's really ingrained in culture for a lot of us. So we just want to kind of pick away at that conversation a little bit. So I thought we could kind of do, I'll ask you some questions. You ask me some questions. Are you good with that, Carly? So good. Let's go. Okay, cool. So I'm going to ask you questions first. And I think one of the really beautiful things that I love about you, Carly, is that when you focus on your work with your clients, it's not just about the stuff that you put in your home. It's so much deeper than that. Because Carly is an internationally renowned designer extraordinaire, and now she's a house coach and she helps people have a different relationship with the stuff in their house and the people that live amongst that stuff. And I think that it'd be really interesting to have a conversation about creating comfort without external things. So just off the hop, what are some of the things that you can suggest to my audience and your audience that we can use to create comfort and coziness in our homes without having to put on a pot of mild wine or open a bottle of champagne or something like that when we're with ourselves, our family, or with our guests over the holidays? Oh, this is one of my very favorite things to talk about. And it's actually something that's been very researched internationally, which is super fun. And this whole cozy idea is very rooted in how we perceive the environment around us. So there's lots of underpinnings in in environmental psychology. There's lots of research that comes out of Scandinavia that has to do with HUGA. Maybe you've heard of that kind of concept, just this idea of very simple, but very cozy. These people are ranked the happiest in the world. And I think it's because, not because they get the most sunshine, because we all know that winter is not a sunshiny place for our northern friends, but they are so happy. And to me, it comes down to because they choose to be safe, they choose to feel comfortable, they choose to feel cozy. And a lot of this has to do with how they design their houses. And of course, we know, Michelle, that it's not about their houses at all. It's about how they're thinking about their houses. But there are some fun things we can do to invite the thoughts of coziness, invite ourselves to feel more cozy with our house. And that's really all the house does. Like, what's your favorite cozy place in your house right now? Oh, obviously in front of my wood stove. Like we take actual logs from our forest and chop them up and bring them inside and light them on fire to heat our house. And it's just the best thing to sit in front of that wood stove. I love hearing about your wood stove. It's one of my favorite things. Like, how's your wood stove today, Michelle? (laughs) I just like need an update. It's so good. It's just so good, Carly. I can't even tell you how good it is. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, in my mind, it's very good. And I can't wait till the day when I'm sitting by your wood stove with you. But maybe like explore, like tell us about your ritual with your wood stove because it's a beautiful, cozy thing and it doesn't involve alcohol, right? Yeah, not at all. In fact, the entire time we've lived in this house, I've been alcohol free. And so there's been a lot of opportunities to create that coziness without the booze. But I think it's 
For me, I mean, if you kind of look at it from an evolutionary scientific perspective, um, warmth is one of those things that is dopamine producing because back in the caveman days, of course, our brains wanted to give us a reward every time we found warmth. And so lighting a fire and being in front of it is one of those really primal kind of caveman things that we can go back to, to look at, to create that comfort and that feeling of safety just by having that warmth and getting that delicious brain reaction. And then I think there's also the thought in my mind about, this is so cool. I went out into my forest and I cut down a tree and my wonderful husband cut it into pieces and we hauled it in the house and we put it in this really nice looking machine and lit it on fire and we're getting this reaction. And it's just so much more depth than flicking on a switch, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow, there's like such a story behind it, such an ownership, such a groundedness that really speaks to me. (laughs) So other things we could do in our houses too, like fire is one of those huge things, like fireplaces, candles. I think that in Scandinavia, they burn 75% more candles than like the rest of the world combined. It's something crazy. Uh, Blankets, anything that really is sensual. And by sensual, I don't mean like sexual. I mean like using your senses. So we have our five senses that really can add layer upon layer to our coziness level. So like, what does, what does it feel like in your hands to be cozy? Is there a texture that you associate with coziness? A lot of people love flannel, but I've talked about this before to my audience. Like I have dry hands and flannel drives me batty. Like I don't like the catchiness. I don't like flannel. To me, that's not cozy, but is it cozy to you? Like you have to figure out what's cozy to you. What about you, Michelle? What's cozy to you? What feels cozy? Well, really, at the end of the day, it's whatever I decide is cozy. I mean, it's just kind of <laughs> exactly. it's just kind of trial and error, you know, trying things and seeing if it works. And maybe, so, maybe on a day that the ends of my fingers are dry, I would agree with you. And I don't want flannel, but most of the time I do. But it's kind of day to day and figuring out whatever fits. But it's ultimately I decide to think it's cozy, and that really comes from inside of our heads rather than anything external. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we can do that with all of our senses, what you feel, what you look at. I love the fire. The fire is like so conditioned in us to be cozy. And so we might as well maximize that as long as it's not hurting us, as long as there's like a net positive, right? What we eat and drink, what we can taste. So while maybe that has been alcohol in the past for many, that can also transition to like a tea or a cider Or another warm drink, even just like warmed milk feels really cozy to a lot of people. So if you're wanting to make the transition into cozy other than booze, there's so many options and it mostly comes down to what you choose to make your cozy. Yeah, 100%. And I love where this conversation is going because in alcohol freedom work, we often talk about allowing urges for alcohol and kind of foregoing the instant gratification of that hit of dopamine in favor of long-term habit change. But sometimes we want to actually lean into the comfort and simply find an alternative way to create that comfort without having that net negative result in our life, which drinking, if you're here and listening to this, you're likely getting that net negative effect in your life because if you're drinking. So I love this idea of creating these, not substitutes, but just alternatives to create those happy brain chemicals, those happy feelings in our bodies, instead of saying, okay, well, let's do this work and just 
you know, allow the urge and push through the discomfort and allow the discomfort to be there, but actually saying, okay, well, let's just put that on the shelf for a minute and look at some ways to create comfort in ways that just don't have negative impacts in our lives. So I think that's a really interesting way to take things. Yeah, man, it's so cool to realize that we have such control over how we experience coziness, but like the holiday season and really everything in our lives that if we want comfort, we have found ways to find that in the past. And if it's not working for us, we're allowed to change that. It's our prerogative. It's our initiative. It's our right to decide what's comfortable for us. There's no book of comfort that we have to like obey. So that's really fun. One of the most grounding principles of Huga is this Huga is togetherness idea where the dopamine hit we get from just the people around us and the people we choose to be around can be just as rewarding as buffering or checking out with overeating or overspending or over drinking. But when we tune into what's going on right now, getting into our bodies, feeling our feelings, being present with the people that we choose to be with. That can, I know sometimes that this doesn't feel real, but it can be just as rewarding to be with people. Yeah, 100%. And what would you have to say to people who might have to or otherwise be, I mean, obligation is obviously a thought and we always have a choice, but you know, when it comes to holiday gatherings or, you know, being around people, sometimes there are people that you would maybe rather not spend time with. And sometimes that's why people reach for a glass of wine or something to kind of take the edge off having to be around those people. Would you have any tips for people who might have family coming over that they otherwise wouldn't choose to spend time around? Um, you know, anything to say to people in that situation? Yeah, I think that the work comes in when we take away the layer of veiling that we put over our emotions. So when let's take like a mother-in-law, for example, maybe your mother-in-law is coming to town, you don't get along and you just rather not feel the feelings of discomfort when she comes around, maybe shame, maybe disappointment, whatever it is that comes up for you around her. And we can get away from those feelings. We try to run away from them by drinking or eating or hiding in our bedrooms. And we're talking to our husbands till two in the morning, trying to vent it all out. But I love the invitation of doing what it takes to make our lives enjoyable without interference. So we want to make our life worth living without having to run away from it as much as possible. Because the purpose of our lives really is to just feel all the feelings, to stand up for ourselves, to understand ourselves enough that we can be ourselves and be comfortable being ourselves. So when we buffer away, it's taking away the opportunities of feeling those feelings. So we have a couple of choices, right? Like we can choose to not invite the people over that stress us out. And that's a very fine, acceptable decision. If anybody needs permission to not have people over into their lives that they're feeling obligated to be with, this is my permission to you. (laughs) Don't do it if you don't want to. Only if you want to. It's fun or it doesn't happen. And then the other invitation that we can take is we invite the people over and we do what it takes to manage our own emotions with them. And this is a captivating invitation because it's hard sometimes, right? Hard as a thought, but it's hard sometimes to be present enough to feel all the emotions and to do what it takes to get ourselves safe 
in a way that's not running away. Does that make sense? Am I making sense, Michelle? No, it <laughs> totally makes sense. And I, I love that idea of, yeah, I mean, if you're not up for the hardness, um, because sometimes there is compounded hardness over the holidays for so many different reasons. So an option is to just say no and just change the circumstance. And that's a completely acceptable way to do things. But in terms of creating long-lasting end game, end goal kind of things and putting that in place, then doing this work of, okay, well, maybe this Christmas dinner or this holiday dinner, we're going to try to put some boundaries in place with our mother-in-law. Maybe we're going to try a different way of communication and it might be really, really uncomfortable in the moment. But if you take the opportunity to lean into that and practice it, then long-term, you'll always have that experience and those skills in place. So I think it's it's worthwhile to lean into that discomfort if you feel like it's the appropriate time and place. You always have the choice, as you said. Your permission has been granted by Carly. Thank you. There you go. Roll out the red carpet. And you can also do like something in between too. Like You can say, I don't want to have my family members sleeping in my house for two weeks over the holidays, you can say, we're going to go to a two-hour dinner at my uncle's house, period, hard stop, or with or without the kids, or with or without time constraints, or dietary restrictions, like you're allowed to do this however you want. And sometimes you can just take that first little step instead of saying, I'm not going to see you. I don't, you're stressing me out over the holidays. I'm not there yet. I, I don't have that skill set quite built. I'm saying no. You could say, I'm saying yes for what, 15 minutes for a phone conversation, for whatever feels good to you. I think that's such a good suggestion. What I want to ask you next is, what would you have to say to those people whose reaction to that suggestion would be, yeah, but if I said no to everything my mother-in-law wants, I would just never hear the end of it. Like I just can't possibly put that boundary in place because she will just be so angry or never let me hear the end of it or layer me with guilt trips or whatever. What would you say? Any suggestions for that? Of course, there's lots of nuance here, right? That we would want to go into with somebody. We'd want to be like, now what's going on? Why are you feeling this way? What's the backstory? Where are you coming from? But just knee-jerk reaction is like, you're feeling uncomfortable either way. Either way, you're feeling uncomfortable. So you might as well do it your own way. (laughs) You might as well be the creator of your own purposeful discomfort that you have complete control over so that you can learn from it and move forward with it. When we feel like victims, nothing uh, really gets done that I feel like is constructive. I love that. I love that. You can either be uncomfortable by saying no, or you can be uncomfortable by being around a person that you don't want to be around. So your choice. I think that's a really interesting <laughs> point. If you're going to lead, if you're going to be dis- uncomfortable... I feel like I might as well choose my discomfort. But that's the stubborn part of me that talking that I know is a little bit strong-willed <laughs> to be like, no, I'm just going to choose my own because I can choose. So there. But what would you say, Michelle? What would you say to them? I would say that that piece kind of comes in where at the end of the day, the only person's behavior that you can ultimately control is your own. And so my advice is always to do everything you can to be in alignment with your own preferences because really at the end of the day, your actions and your choices don't actually create the thoughts and feelings of others. What creates that is their own thoughts and feelings. And at the end of the day, your mother-in-law is probably going to be your mother-in-law no matter what you do. 
she's probably going to have something to say about your choices, no matter what they are. So you might as well choose what you want to choose. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And then it kind of opens this pathway of more work that you get to do to get to know yourself better of like, what if your mother-in-law doesn't like your choice? Then what comes up? And then what comes up if she says something about it? And then what comes up if she says something about it every time you see her? How can you be true to yourself? And like you said, aligned with your preferences. That's such a beautiful way of saying it. To make this whole experience, not just the one moment you're choosing to set a boundary or say no or whatever, but for the whole relationship as it exists to feel feel supportive of you, even if right now you feel like it isn't. So good. I love that. Oh, man. Okay, Michelle, I have questions for you now. Okay, let's do it. So I'm actually a non-drinker. Is that the right word? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. And you are now also. Yeah. So in my house, we don't have alcohol around except for like cooking varieties. And even then it feels a little bit like out of our comfort zone just because we've both grown up in families that don't drink. It's a cultural thing for us to not drink, which is which is fun and fun to talk about in contrast with a lot of different other cultures. So in your home, you do have alcohol in your home. Yeah. So a lot of my clients talk about how they just can't help themselves because it's right in front of their face, whether it's eating something they don't want to eat or behaving in a way that they don't want to behave around a mess or this like environmental invitation element is so interesting to me. So when it comes to controlling behavior with regard to drinking or even overeating, let's talk about this. Like, what would you say to people who are giving the excuse that like, I I can't stop drinking, it's around, I'm going to be at a party where there's booze served or even for my clients who are moms at home, overwhelmed by the mess or design decisions, like what are the invitations and how do we react to them? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I'll tell you a bit of a a personal story, which I actually did an entire podcast episode on. So I can send that to you to put that in the show, in the the show notes. Yes, please. And the theme is basically the lists of things that we expect other people to do, the checkboxes that we expect our external circumstances to be in alignment with in order for us to be able to feel a certain way, act a certain way, and think a certain way. And so my example in this in this context is that when I quit drinking, which was nearly two years ago now, I had some very, very specific expectations for my husband around what he would do to support me in this endeavor to stop drinking. And what that looked like was he would not drink around me. He would not mention alcohol around me. He would be immediately supportive of my decision to stop drinking, even though our entire marriage and relationship prior to that involved a lot of heavy drinking together. And I expected him to just be immediately on board and give me a hug and you know cry and say, I'm proud of you and do all this stuff. And that would have allowed me to think that he was a good husband and he loved me and you know he was supportive and he was choosing our marriage over drinking and so it was really kind of interesting to explore that because of course because he's a human with a human brain he had a very different story about how he thought it should play out and so at this point and I will preface this by saying it's been after a lot of trial and error a lot of uncomfortable conversations, a lot of me allowing him to have his thoughts and feelings and him allowing me to have my thoughts and feelings. But we've come to a place where 
we do have alcohol in the house and he does drink it. And if we do go out for a nice dinner somewhere or to a family event and other people are drinking, it's just totally fine because it's not actually about the alcohol itself. It's not actually about the external thing that's around you. It's about what you think about it. So let's say, for example, you go to a family dinner and there's three of your favorite kinds of wine on the table and everybody's having a glass. And further to that, that somebody might even, maybe your mother-in-law bases her standards of whether or not her guests are having a good time by how much alcohol they consume. That's definitely a thing in some families where people almost feel like they have to drink, like they're obligated to drink in order to be a good guest uh, at somebody's party. But it's not really about what other people are doing or offering or putting in front of you. It's more about what you're thinking about that. And so you could choose to think something like, this is no fun, or I'm deprived, or I can't experience the ultimate amount of pleasure that I could in this moment, or that looks really good, or that would go really well with the dinner that I'm eating. You could choose to think all of those things, and that would probably result in a feeling of deprivation, a feeling of resentment, a feeling of lack, um, maybe even a feeling of irritation or something along those lines. Or you could think something like, well, that's just not a part of my life anymore. Or you could even go as far as thinking, I don't require putting alcohol into a glass and ingesting it in order to have a good time at this event. And I always like to ask my clients, especially in the context of holidays or gatherings, where does the fun and the joy actually come from? And the answer to that is not pouring alcohol into a glass and ingesting it. That's that has nothing to do with it. What creates the joy is your thoughts about the people that are around you, the connections that you make, the laughs that you have, um, feeling seen and heard, having a nice time. That's where the fun and the joy comes from. So I think being able to think of it and just shift your thinking around it is everything. Mm, You said that so well. That's so good. Yes. And a little bit long-windedly. Thank you. (laughs) Oh no. I, the whole time I was eating it up, I had like starry eyes. It was so beautiful. You know, I see this like time and time again with my cousin, with my clients, with my cousins. I actually have no cousins that are clients, but with my clients um, that they want to blame their experience on what's happening around them. So whether you're a drinker or a non-drinker or in the middle making a big change, which can feel really scary, it's all about how you're interpreting the world around you. So figure out what thoughts and how you can keep your mindset centered on strength and courage or confidence or self-awareness, whatever that feeling is that helps you stay true to yourself, take that in, bring a cue card, write it on your husband's forehead. So every time you look at him, you can be reminded of your, <laughs> of your motto, of your affirmation, whatever it takes, because it's totally possible to have fun. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I would also like to add an additional cue card to that deck, which is a feeling that I had to explore at length while I was first learning to do this work was the feeling and the emotion of acceptance. And that acceptance being, yes, sometimes you're going to feel really dang uncomfortable. Sometimes you're just going to be experiencing a lot of feelings that don't feel good in your body because you're used to masking those feelings or solving for those feelings with something external like alcohol or cheesecake or, you know, whatever your drug of choice is that, you know, you're probably going to feel uncomfortable quite often as you start doing this work, even in the context of family dinner. And that, and trying to generate that feeling of acceptance, just knowing that, 
yep, nothing's actually gone wrong because I'm feeling uncomfortable in this moment. Just allowing that discomfort to be in your body and being okay with it. That's very different than kind of pushing through it and white knuckling and having internal dialogue saying, this is wrong. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should be having a good time. I should be happy all the time. We have this really pervasive cultural narrative that we should just never feel any negative emotions. And that leads us to doing things like overeating and overdrinking and using porn and online shopping and all those behaviors that we do to feel better when we're not feeling good. But working on that acceptance piece that 50% of the time, you're just going to feel terrible or maybe not good, maybe not terrible, but at least, you know, not positive. That's everything. Absolutely. Oh, that's so, so good. Okay. I have one last question for you. Okay. So in the design world, Alcohol is like really beautiful. I see bar carts and bottles and glasses that even for me coming from, I have no idea what any of those things are. It's just like completely beautiful. It's very aesthetically pleasing. So I see this time again and time and time again with my clients, like that something is pretty or it looks cozy or it looks like a good time. And so they make this judgment call. Oh, this is good. It should be in my house. This should be part of my life. But I don't think that pretty is a good enough reason to allow something into your home or into your body. And I don't think really cozy is a good enough reason either. So I'm wanting to know from you, what's a good enough reason to allow something into your life or into your home? That's a really interesting question. I think that it's going to be highly individual for anybody and everybody's reasons are going to be different. And really at the end of the day, it's about leaning into that discomfort and getting really, really honest with yourself in your individual context. And I think that if you really give it some deep thought and you really like that this is pretty and it's coming into your home and you're on board with that reason and you don't feel like it's going to create a net negative effect in your life, I think that is a perfectly good reason to put something in your body. If you can really look at it And not just kind of glaze over the superficial parts, but really ask yourself, why do I want this? Why do I want to, what am I actually trying to solve for? And if it really comes down to, it's going to look good on my mantle, or it's going to look nice on, on my bar card, and you like that and you're fine with that, then I think that is a good reason. But if you're investigating truly and and with depth, my assumption would be that maybe there's something kind of underlying there. And if you investigate it and ask yourself those questions and, and you approach it with honesty, I think that you might come up with some other reasons and you might not like those so much. So I think it's really just about inquiry. I don't know if that answers your question, but that would be my my first thought off the hop. No, that completely answers my question. It's like pretty alone isn't good enough or cozy alone isn't good enough or confidence alone. It's almost like a cake is how I describe it sometimes where you need to have the the foundational layers in place of your big life goals and your future self and things, your value system, what's really important to you. And then whatever is pretty can just go right on top, like the beautiful frosting on a cake. When you think of birthday cake, you don't think of like, a cake in a pan necessarily, you think of like something frosted with like rosettes piped on and like confetti and sparkles and candles. These days, cakes are amazing, right? But if you cut into the beautiful cake and it was cardboard, you're going to be disappointed. It needs like the good cake plus the great frosting. So I think of that way as aesthetic is an interesting way to think about it. And the same goes goes to like, 
our interactions with other people or the pressures we feel around the holidays where just because something was going to make for a great picture on Instagram or just because you should, I think should is a swear word, you should go to all the family parties or all the neighborhood gatherings or all the high school reunion-y things that happen around the holidays. You, you don't have to. Like a pretty picture isn't good enough. But if you choose to engage, you can do it your own way. Yeah, I think that you really hit the nail on the head with that one right there, that it's really not about the prettiness or the superficiality of it. It's really about, at the end of the day, your relationship with yourself and how that's reflected in your external surroundings and circumstances and the situations that you're putting yourself in and what that means to you. Mm, Yes, totally. Yeah. Oh, so good. Okay. I could talk to you for hours, but there are probably going to be people that are listening that want to know how to find you and how to work with you. So tell us everything. Oh, yeah. So if you want to get in on some intentional house action, you can find me at intentionalhouse.com. And I love to work with clients in a couple of different ways. The primary way is my signature program. This is called the Home Love Lab. And we go really deep into how to create a home that's supportive to you from a place of love explicitly for the intention of loving better. A lot of times we're building our houses and we just think it's about the aesthetic, it's about the pretty, and we get in there and there's holes, there's functional holes, or there's relationship holes. But when we build our houses very physically, like when we choose the doorknobs for our house, based on our relationships and our ability to relate to the house itself and the people around us and ourselves, then we make completely different choices for completely different reasons that we may have never considered before. It's a foundational training I think everybody needs when they're setting up a new house, especially if you're building custom. This perspective makes everything so much easier. So I love to support people in the Home Love Lab. Come on over, join us. Amazing. So good. I'm going to put all that stuff in the show notes. And I'm assuming that your audience would know where to find you, but uh, I'll put it in my show notes so people can click on that easily. And I'll put your Instagram there as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And then tell us about AFE, your alcohol freedom experiment. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of working with people, I do one-on-one work. And the work that we do is really just creating the life that you want so you don't need to drink to numb out or escape or not feel your feelings. And that might look like, in terms of end result, it might look like quitting completely like I did, or it might just be cutting back drastically or significantly, but still having alcohol in your life, but just having a very different relationship with it. So I work one-on-one with that with women. And if you want to do that, you can head over to my website, michellecapler.com, where you can set up a 60-minute free consultation to chat about having me as your coach and what that would look like. And if you want just a little snippet, just kind of a little introduction to doing this work, I also have a free video mini course called the 7-Day Alcohol Freedom Experiment, where we take out drinking for seven days and then we watch our brains to see what happens. Because the best way to find out why you drink is to stop drinking and see what happens. So we do that. And then after that, I give you some tools and some systems to put in place to continue the work if you want to. And so if you want to find that, you can go to michellecapler.com, scroll all the way to the bottom of the homepage, and then click on the link to join for free. And then you can also find me on Instagram at michellecapler. Oh my goodness. I love you so much, Michelle. And I just want to give my little two cents in affirming how wonderful of a coach you are. Because as I've worked with Michelle, 
it's been life changing. It's game changing. And I've mentioned before, like, I don't even drink. But the way that Michelle thinks is so phenomenal that if you're ready to take the next step and really get in tune with your own self and make decisions on purpose and do really hard things, she's your girl. Run, do not walk. Thank you. That's so nice to hear. I appreciate that. I'm loving all this love today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this episode with me. Thank you. And we'll look forward to having you back sometime soon. Love you, Michelle. We'll talk soon.